Did you come expecting this morning? Expecting something from God. Let's read his word together, starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who were there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he, would, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to, to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come, with your, he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me. So that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Father, we thank you for your word. It has the unending power to change our lives. The same scripture over and over and over again can minister to us in different ways. And we pray this morning that you would do that. Lord, even if we've heard this before, we pray that today you shine new light on your word to us. Change us, make us more like Christ. And it's in his name we pray and everyone said, amen. And amen. Turn around and tell your neighbor, meanwhile. Meanwhile. You ever read a book and you're deep into the storyline and then the book stops and says, meanwhile. And then you find out all the stuff was happening that was happening while you were reading it. You ever uh, woke up on your birthday expecting all of your family to come rushing in, wishing you happy birthday, expecting to get on Facebook and have 300 people who you have no idea really who they are, wishing you happy birthday only to your uh, surprise nobody says anything. 
And then you spend the whole day in a bad mood. You go to work, your boss doesn't say anything. It's been a whole, nobody cares for me, nobody likes me. This is over. And, and then only to find out that evening that everybody was planning a surprise birthday party for you. Meanwhile, that's oftentimes how our lives work, isn't it? That, uh, that we are in this linear trajectory, a timeline. Anybody, anybody ever done a timeline of your life? Uh, I think they could throw it up. Here's what my, my timeline is. I'm a little more involved than this. That's probably it. Um, I don't remember much. Uh, like the first line would be when I was born. The second line, or the, the first dot would be uh, when a bird died in my backyard when I was five. I still remember that. It's one of the only things I remember growing up. My wife would vouch for me. I blocked most of my childhood. Not because it was necessarily bad. It's useless information. (laughs) I just don't remember a whole bunch. My brother grew up in the same house, can remember everything. And so I'm at a severe disadvantage because I don't remember a lot of it. And he tells me what happened, but then I don't trust it. So so the first dot, five years old, roughly about, uh, there was a bird that I found in the yard. We lived below Richmond, Virginia, and I found a bird in the yard. It was all busted up, maybe a dog bit it or something. And um, I cared for this bird all day. Still have no reason why, but I was singing, it's a small world after all. Uh, that fits. When I don't know how it fits, but I was just, I remember riding my bike uh, around the yard. Uh, and I had built, I made a little box for the bird, put the bird in the box. I was expecting God to heal it. And he was going to feed it and all that stuff. Singing, it's a small world after all. And then the bird died the same day. And, you know, it was traumatic. And I remember it. Uh, still, still a little bit right here, um, even now. It's a small world, you know. You lift, you're like, it's a small world. And the second dot, I got married. The third dot, I had kids. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> but our life is like this. Lin- we we think in linear terms, right? Don't you think in linear terms? Like you're going to make a timeline of your life. This is what I did here. Then, the, then this happened. Then this happened. Then this happened. But the trouble is with linear thinking is you can get tunnel vision, right? Uh, my wife and I are very goal-oriented. We, we, we want to accomplish things. We're, we have high expectation for our kids. We're like, we set a goal out. You don't quit. You just keep pushing. You're going to make it. But it doesn't leave much room for anything outside of that linear uh, train of thought. Like, here's my goal, and, and I'm going to run straight at the goal and accomplish the goal. And don't mess with it. Don't get in the way of it. Don't sidetrack me. Like, this is what we want to do. And, but if you're honest, and I'm honest, my life typically doesn't work that way. A lot of times, I'll have to admit that my life looks a little more like this. And so, uh, so if you put the next one up with the vertical. Uh, yeah, so, so the, the, the bird died. But what I didn't really understand at a five-year-old is there was a, you know, the neighbor down the street had a dog that they let out, and then it ran away, and then it came over to my yard, killed the bird, and, and then all these things happened in a row at the same time, and I, you know, so this tragic thing in my life of the neighbor would have just kept a hold of his dog. I don't know if that's what happened, but... Um, but then if you start thinking about it, you, you start realizing that that's not even the reality. My life typically works 
uh, a little bit like more like this. If you put if you put up the next one, this is how my life works. Like the bird died, but there's a million things that actually happened for that bird to be dead in my yard, and that's typically. So I'm in the yard riding my bike, or I might have been in the house. Meanwhile, all this stuff was going on, and then I walk out in the yard. It's a small world after all. Great bird. Meanwhile, you know, God doesn't think in linear terms because God is not bound by time. So we are bound by time. Every second of every day is in a linear motion in your life. You're going from one second to the next to the next. You're counting the minutes until you lose interest into this sermon and start surfing on your phone or checking. You're like, it's, it's just like this, right? And so the issue is, is that God doesn't work that way. He's working all things at all times. Because he knows all things at all times. And it messes with our brains when we read in scripture that, that he knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. Like, how'd you know me? My parents didn't know me. How do you know me? Well, he knows everything all the time. So it's not linear. It's just he knows it all. All the time. It's like your kids coming up. To, How'd you know that? I just tell them I know everything. So just remember. I know everything. God knows everything. And so God has the infinite ability to orchestrate everything. And then make it pop up on your timeline. As a dot. The issue with us is that type of. God intervention into our lives, that type of orchestration from him can be immensely frustrating, can it? Can it? If we're honest, it can be immensely frustrating because oftentimes it shows up in ways that we, we don't recognize. And, and so we, we enter into this story in chapter 9. The, what happened before that in the previous couple chapters, chapter 7, a man named Stephen was stoned to death uh, over his faith. The, the, the Greek persecution from that point broke out against the church and and so we have the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ we have this kind of timeline that's going on and then Jesus um, reveals himself over the next 40 days you have the day of Pentecost you have all these things going on at the beginning of Acts and then we come to the stoning of Stephen early on in the history of the church and it says a great persecution broke out against the church and if you move to chapter 8 what happens is that is that the Bible says that all the apostles... Well, first of all, it says there was a man named Saul who, who stood over uh, while, while Stephen was being stoned and approved it. And it's kind of like the first introduction to this guy. And, and he's approving the stoning of Stephen. And I don't know about you, but st- like any other way but stoning is fine with me. You know what I'm saying? Well, you guys like stoning. Okay, that's That's great. <laughs> No, I'm like, bring the biggest rock first, put me out of my misery, and then do what else. Like, don't start out with the pebbles. Um, so, the, I mean, it was brutal, stoning to death. And then you start out in chapter 8, and it, and it says that Saul was standing over it in approval. Now, what you find out is that there's a man named Philip, that, that, that the, the church was scattered all over the area 
from this persecution, except the apostles kind of stayed in Jerusalem. There's a guy named Philip who out, went out to Samaria, and, and like a, a revival broke out in Samaria, a lot of people were being saved, the, the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit was, was, was evident, the power of the Holy Spirit was evident, and Philip's over there, uh, and, and the church recognized it, and they send uh, Peter and John over with Philip to, to see what's going on, and, and it is an unbelievable thing that's happening in Samaria. Matter of fact, to the point where unexpected people are being redeemed. So Peter and John return to Jerusalem. Philip, on the other hand, gets instructions from an angel to go on the desert road to take a walk. They don't get, the angel doesn't give him any more instruction of that, so he starts walking down this road, and he runs into a very important Ethiopian. Uh, he realizes the Ethiopian is reading a passage of Scripture referring to Christ, and so he gets in uh, the chariot with the guy, and he starts having this conversation about, and the, the Ethiopian says, hey, do you know what this is talking about? And he says, yeah, I actually do, and explains the whole, uh, the whole history and how God sent Jesus to redeem us and all that stuff, and, the, and they pass a mud puddle, and the Ethiopian says, hey, we'll get baptized right here. They baptize him, and then it says that Philip was taken up and ended up in another town. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times at 10 o'clock at Walmart in Martinsburg that I prayed, Lord, take me up like Philip. I'm ready to be out of this place and my wife ain't done shopping yet. So, but miraculous things are happening in the midst of great persecution. Now don't, don't underestimate because we live in this really cushy environment when it comes to church. Like nobody had to fight through a protest line to get here. Nobody, nobody had to worry about if your parents were going to be upset with you or your family was going to disown you. We just came to church. We came expecting, man, it's going to be great. Band's going to kill it. It's going to be good preaching. The church is going to be cool because the air conditions work because we just got them worked on this week. It's going to be great. In that time, there was a great amount of persecution happening. So the apostles were working in the context of under this immense amount of pressure. Then you get to chapter 9, and, and I've had things in my, happen in my life recently that this word just jumped out at me when I was reading. Meanwhile. Meanwhile. So I'm reading all the stuff that had happened in chapter 7, chapter 8, and then you get to chapter 9, it says, meanwhile. Like at this, while this is happening, this is happening. While all this persecution is going on, while all this, while the government is raining down persecution, meanwhile, it comes back to Saul. And it said Saul was extremely ambitious. It says he was breathing murderous threats. Like he is, he is as passionate about exterminating what they were calling the way at the time as he could be. And it says, so on his own, on his own, he goes to the high priest and gets permission to go to Damascus. And the Bible says is that, is that he, he got permission to lock up men and women. He wasn't going to be discriminatory. I'm going to lock them all up. And so he's going to go and he's going to arrest everybody that's following the way. Now, can you imagine, I, I don't know, Here's what it looks like in my life. I've got a goal in front of me, and I'm, I'm, I'm going headlong into that goal. I want it to happen. I'm going to put another dot on my timeline. It's going to be a significant event in my life, and I'm headed towards it, going to accomplish it. 
And then, and then meanwhile, I find out something is going on that, that I think would be the antithesis of what I'm trying to achieve. Lord, I, I really want to do your will, Lord. Man, I've got this generous heart. I want to give more. I want to do more. But I, but I lost my job. Or, or I, got a, I got a pay cut. Or, or my car broke down and I, and I got to fix it now. Or something happened in my house. I got to fix it. I don't know what to do, Lord. Like, like in the meantime of me making all these goals in the gospel going forward, now I find out that you want to... That, that, that Saul is breathing out murderous threats, that's not helping me get to where I need to be. Meanwhile, we, we oftentimes, oftentimes get sidetracked because the meanwhile doesn't look like something that's going to advance our agenda. Amen? I don't know about you, but that's happened a lot in my life. I've got this linear train of thought. Lord, if you just do this, this, and this, it'll all work out. And, and I had a good plan, and I gave it to you, and you didn't say anything, so that's what I thought we were going to do. <laughs> Isn't that how you pray? Like, Lord, you had a good opportunity to tell me no, and you didn't. You didn't say anything. I kept praying, and you were silent. And so I thought we were good. Meanwhile, my enemy was was breathing murderous threats. How does that work? You wanted us to advance the gospel and we're under great persecution. Meanwhile, this guy saw is ramping up the whole deal. He, I mean, you want to talk about an escalation. This guy's leaving his, this guy's leaving town. He's, he's branching out. He's starting persecution franchises. He's going everywhere. He's going to lock up as many as he can. What we don't understand about our lives is that God is actually orchestrating things differently than what we can perceive at the time. So let me, let me read it to you like if, if we could go back and look, we, because we have the ability to go back and look on the apostles' lives and Saul's life. We just don't have the ability to go back and look on ours yet. So here's what, here's what you may be able to read it as. It could read like this, while the... Apostles were focusing on proclaiming the gospel in the midst of chaos. God was orchestrating Saul to have an encounter that would change the whole timeline of human history. Isn't that what happened? On the road to Damascus, on the, on, in the meanwhile, while all this stuff was going on, Saul is, is breathing murderous threats against Christians. And, and, but... Because of history, we can look back and say, God was actually orchestrating it that he would meet him on the roads of Damascus to do the very thing that, that would have been detrimental to the gospel. Meanwhile, see, oftentimes what we perceive is something bad that's happening. God is actually orchestrating it for our good, isn't he? My... Um, the problem with Saul's conversion is it doesn't fit in my timeline because uh, I don't need him to be converted to get to where I want to go. Think about that. How many of the apostles at the time do you think were saying, you know what? If we could just get that guy on our side. We don't think like that, do we? 
Now, we, we live in 2,000 years of grace and mercy. We live in the, in the age of if, if uh, somebody strikes you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. Amen? Turn the other cheek. And then, and then I said to the service this morning, and then you fulfilled all your obligations, and then you could do whatever you want. No. Well, we, we live in the grace and mercy where it says, um, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. That's all in Scripture, right? That God has called us, we've lived in grace and mercy. Now, I want you to understand that back then, man, the church is in its infancy, just starting. And there was thousands and thousands of years, like, like, a, like generations and generations of what? You kill your enemy, right? Like, read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. David wasn't like, oh, Lord, could you just convert him and bring him over? And we'd have a talk and a conversation. I could tell him how good you are. No, he said, kill them. Kill them all. And that's how I know you're on my side. Kill them all. And so, so you can imagine, you can imagine the, the tug on the apostles as far as like, like this whole grace thing is new to us. But, but then there's Saul over here that's persecuting his is is as hard as he this doesn't I don't I need Saul to go away I don't need him to be a Christian I, I need Lord I need this problem in my life to go away I don't need it to cause something else to happen right so so we get our linear thought going and and we ignore what God can do in the meanwhile because it doesn't fit into where I want to go by the way does a proverb say many are the plans of a man's heart but it's the Lord who directs his steps. So, so in my timeline, I don't, pain is never a part of my timeline. I don't, I don't have little dots where I'm like, Lord, you could just put pain right there. <laughs> Be great just for an hour or so. Uh, sorrow is never part of my timeline. Conflict is never part of my timeline. Who gets up in the morning and says, Man, I just like to fight today. It's never part of my timeline. How about this? The promotion of people I don't like is never part of my timeline. I don't wake up in the morning like, Lord, there's this guy I work with that I can't stand. If you promote him today. No. You're saying, Lord, I want to step on his face all the way up to the top. Like, I just want to, if you'd allow me just to climb right over him and let everybody see it, that'd be a beautiful thing. To, no, we don't, we don't think about stuff like that. But you know what? Pain is a part of every one of your timelines. Sorrow. If you live long enough, people die. Conflict is a part of your timeline. No matter how nice you are, conflict will be a part of your People... People getting ahead of you that you don't want, that you don't think deserve it, is always going to be a part of your timeline. The issue is, is can you see God working through that meanwhile? In spite of what you feel, Lord, we're pushing hard for you. I don't understand why you're letting Saul over here get letters from the... How can you, as hard as we're working, how can you possibly... Give him more authority to keep doing what he... How can you do that? Because uh, we, we can't see it where we're standing. 
We just think, God, this is getting worse, not better. I don't understand what you're doing. The issue is he's not working on a straight line like we are. He's orchestrating the details of of lives that come together to accomplish his will. If you're only focused on the next thing, you may complain yourself right out of seeing a miracle that God wants to do in your life. You realize that? If you're just complaining that, Lord, this is where I want to go, you may just totally miss what he's trying to do in your life. There's a story in, in 1 Kings about Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1, we'll read it. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Hey, that's a good message, right? Oh, the queen sent me a message. It must be great. Opens it up. I'm going to die by tomorrow. This is wonderful, Lord. Thank you very much for a confirmation of your approval in my life. I appreciate it. This was not on my timeline. My timeline was that I was going to be rewarded for all the things I had obeyed you for. Now I wake up this morning and see that it's gotten worse. Great. This is exactly how I planned it. Come on, some of you woke up that, like that this morning, didn't you? Say Amen. Elijah had just seen God do unbelievable, miraculous things through him. Um, There's this competition, you know, basically set it up where the prophets of Baal are praying that that fire would come down and and Elijah's making fun of them. And then then Elijah says, all right, I'm going to show you how this works. And they pour water all over Elijah's altar and he calls down fire from heaven, crushes Everything dries up all the water and they kill all the prophets with the sword. That's a good day, isn't it? Anytime you can call down fire from heaven and it comes, that's a good day. So I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's time to bring the family together. It's time that people appreciate me. I mean, nobody else got up there and did it. Like, Come on, put yourself in Elijah's shoes. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you feel like that a little bit? Like nobody else, nobody else got up there and called down fire from heaven. That was me. That was me. Nobody else had the guts to pour water over everything. That was me. And now I, I just want to be recognized a little bit for it. I just want, I want you to put the dot, I want to sit here a little while and take it all in. Because this is awesome. I mean, it's a really good day. But then 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 starts out that the king Ahab told his wife everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah and said, listen, let the gods deal severely with me. If by this time tomorrow, you got 24 hours, buddy. He's saying, what in the world? So he's upset. God takes him up on a mountain. Reveals himself to him. Actually, in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life when he came to Beersheba and Judah. He left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. 
Ever had a day where you thought, man, this amazing thing happened, and then you were like, what? I don't even have time to celebrate it. He sat down under the tree that he might die. He said, I've had enough, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. So frustrated to lay down on the ground and fall asleep. So then after that, God takes him up on a mountain, reveals himself to him. And verse 14, this is Elijah's response to what God had said to him. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. Anybody ever felt like that? Lord, I'm the only one here in this office. I'm the only one in my family. I'm the only one. I'm the only one on this block. I'm the only one in this apartment building. I'm the only one at this job. I'm Lord, I've been so good lately. And I'm the only one left. Complaining, right? Lord, how this how this pain get in my life? I've been, I'm serving you. How, why why are my finances wrecked? I've been serving you. Why why all this trouble, Lord? Why why I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand. Why does this have to happen? I, I just want a dot. One dot is a good thing. And then I want to, I want to go to the next good thing and the next good thing and the next good thing. God, why can't, why can't you get on board with that? Like the next good thing. Why am I getting letters from the queen saying she's going to kill me in 24 hours? I'm kind of done with this. Look at your neighbor and say, meanwhile. Meanwhile. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Don't you love it when you spend an enormous amount of time complaining to God and he doesn't even acknowledge that you were complaining? He just says, get up, get up and go back to the desert. Get up and go to the desert of Damascus. And you're like, what? You didn't hear anything I said? I just laid down to die. And now you want me to get up and walk. You're not even... You, what? How many times has God done that to you? Like, did you say something? Because I want you to get up and start walking. He doesn't even acknowledge that he's complaining. He says, when you get there, he gives him all these things to do when he gets there. So it's not bad enough that he didn't acknowledge his complaining. He said, get up, start walking, go back to the desert of Damascus. And then when you get there, do all these things. You're like, God? This praying thing is causing me more work. I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. And so he's telling him to anoint kings and, 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 and all kinds of stuff. And, 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 he, and he, he goes through all these details. And then at verse 18, watch this. Now remember, Elijah feels like he's the only one left. Verse 18, yet I have reserved seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, what you don't realize is that in our complaining, God has already orchestrated our support system. Amen. Amen. You know, that word yet right there, it says yet. God looks at Elijah and says, here's what I want you to do. Yet. Yet. 
I have reserved all these people. You know, in some translations of Acts chapter 9, it doesn't use meanwhile. It uses the word yet. What God is saying to Elijah is he's saying this. He's saying, yeah, you've done all these things. That's what I asked you to do. You've, you've been obedient. You've done all these things. And now, and now you're acting as if I haven't orchestrated your life. Now you're acting as if I just forgot you out there all by yourself. Now you're acting as if all the details that I worked out for you to get here, that I couldn't work out to support you once you got here. He's saying, now that I have done all this stuff, you've forgotten that I can do more than one thing at a time. And so he tells him, listen, this is all the stuff I want you to do, and yet I have already reserved 7,000 people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I have found out so many times in the midst of complaining about my dots aren't lining up the way I want them to. Lord, like, I just want to go from the bird to success, Lord. That's all I'm asking. I don't want a bunch of complicated stuff in the middle. And when it comes, I start going, God, why are you doing this to me? And he's like, are you kidding? I don't work on a single plane. I work in everything at all times. And I've been orchestrating this for your good. Do you ever think Saul had to get fired up about persecuting the way in order to get to where God could intervene in his life? And so at the moment that you think your issue is so bad that you can't take it anymore, remember that sometimes you have to walk down the tough road for God to intervene the way he wants to. Elijah thought, I can't do this anymore. God, why are you doing this? And God said, Elijah, settle down. I've been working this out from the day I called you. From the very beginning, I've worked this out for your behalf. I haven't forgotten about you. Faith is operating under the assumption that even when you're in the middle of a difficult situation, meanwhile, God is working out your deliverance. Amen. That's all faith is. Faith is saying, even if I've lost my job, I'm going to get up and trust God. Because meanwhile, I believe he's worked out another job for me. What else is faith? Faith is operating and believing in what you can't see. What God has already done. It's the evidence of what you can't see. So what's the evidence? Getting up the next morning and go, you know what? That looks bad. But I believe, meanwhile, as bad as it looks, God is orchestrating for my behalf. And I'm not going to lay down and die. I'm not going to do that. Psalm 23, Romans 8, 28. All, and we know that all things God works for the good. How many things? All things. From the beginning to the end, all things, all encompassing, everything. He's working it out for your good. How do I know he's working it out for your good? Because he's, because, because Paul said so. For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, here's the issue. Sometimes him working it out in the, in, in, in the beginning doesn't look good, right? Because it seems like Saul is getting away with it at the beginning. Like, oh, he's getting more authority, more, more power. I don't understand how this is working. And God's like, chill out. I've got I've to get him on the road to Damascus so I get in front of him. 
But settle down. I, you ever been in a car riding with somebody like, dude, where you're going? Where are we going? Just settle down, man. I know the back way. Well, sometimes that doesn't work out. But for the most part, like, oh, I know the back way. Okay. And sometimes God is looking at us going, settle down. I'm, I have orchestrated the back way for this to happen. It might not look like it's going to benefit you at the beginning. But trust me when I tell you this. I'm working it out for your good. Amen? Come on, you should have been excited about that. Thank you for the people that persevered with the clapping so the reluctant people could join in later. Perseverance brings hope. I have hope for all of you. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they come from me. Verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We want that to read. You yanked me out of the situation, gave me ice cream and cookies, and now I can sit there and watch the demise of my enemies. But he's saying, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You're walking through the hardest time of your life. Meanwhile, I've prepared abundance for you in that situation. And you don't even realize it yet because you're still complaining about the situation. You see, you have to remember that the situation isn't the end of the story. The situation is the first sign of the evidence that God, meanwhile, has been orchestrating something in your life. It's the, it's the initial evidence that God is orchestrating this thing in your life. So you know what you look at a lot of times when hard times come? Don't freak out. Oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. We're all going to die. No, you start looking at your family and start saying, listen, he promised to prepare a table for us in the middle of situations like that. So if the situation has arisen, I believe there's a meanwhile he has been orchestrating our deliverance in the midst of that situation. So listen, as your dad, as your parent, as your husband, as your spouse, I'm not freaking out about this because I know that there's a meanwhile. Now watch this. There's a twist in this story a little bit. And I want to I show you that there's a, there's a possibility that you could be somebody else's meanwhile. You see, we always think in terms of our timeline, right? What God's going to do for me, how he's going to bless me, how I'm going to be better than you. But I've realized lately that God is orchestrating my life to be the meanwhile for someone else. That in the midst of what I'm going through, in the midst of him directing my steps, I end up in the crazy chaos of somebody else's life. Now watch this. This is fascinating. Acts chapter 9 verse 10. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! And he said what every one of us would say. Yes, Lord. Probably in a little bit of a nervous, scared voice. Yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man. Just underline that right there. When did he see it? When? 
Yeah, but that's where he saw it. He saw it in the, he had already seen it, right? In a vision, he has seen a man. It didn't say in a vision, he is seeing a man. It didn't say he will see a man. It says in a vision, he has seen a man. Named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. God's talking to Ananias and he's saying, listen, this guy has already seen a vision of you coming to lay hands on him. Lord, Ananias answered. <laughs> That's out of been like, whoa. <laughs> Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your holy people. Now, what did he say? I will hear. He said, I what? Have heard. Now that's important. So, so Saul has seen Ananias in a vision. And Ananias has heard about Saul. He says, but Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and, how, and the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And how he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call out your name. Lord, just think about what you're getting ready to do. Like if this guy's blind, it's better off for everyone. I heard he wasn't eating. You know, he's blind. He hadn't eaten or drinking anything in three days. This could work out really well. He could just die of starvation. We could just leave him out there. Lord, think about this for a second. You've had conversations with God about that. Lord, you're asking me to forgive them? You're asking me to wipe the slate clean, Lord? You're asking me to, you're asking me to, now you're not only asking me to forgive them, you're asking me to help them? Lord, you're, Lord, do you, you remember? Do I need to remind you of what they did to me? Do I need to remind you of what this guy intends to do to me? Come on, think about this for a second. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We need to realize that in spite of what we heard, in the meantime, God has given people a vision that we're coming. Amen. That in spite of what you've heard about people, that God is orchestrating in the meantime for a church to rise up and proclaim his gospel. Now, I, don't, I know it's political season and you've got your person and, and oh, they're, they're going to persecute the church. You know, you know, it's, it's over for the church. We're going to lose our tax exempt status. I know all that stuff. Here's what I know in the meantime. That God is orchestrating to redeem the very people that you think are going to take away your rights. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm telling you what the heart of God is. He doesn't look linear like you're this or you're that. He looks at anyone who proclaims the name of Jesus will be, re he says, whosoever believes on me will not perish, but have everlasting life. And in the meantime, What we see as a bad move by God is him actually raising up the church to go redeem people. 
Ananias says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, this is exactly how I planned it to happen. While you were hearing all kinds of bad things about him, meanwhile, I was giving him a vision of you laying hands on him. You're somebody's meanwhile. Now, here's, a, here's an issue. Because here's the way we can show up to lay hands on Saul. All right, all right, all right, I'll go to Straight Street, I'll go to Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll go. You show up, you're like, Saul, I'm here, God sent me here, I don't like you, and I'm a little skeptical about this whole thing, I think you can see me. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't want to do this, I, th- I think this whole thing is stupid, I think it'd be better off if you just stayed blind, you been persecuting the church can't believe God's going to do this, but whatever. I'll lay hands on you, see what happens. Isn't that the way we enter into God working in our lives sometimes? Kicking and screaming like little four-year-old kids. Well, God, I, you know, I don't know why you're doing this, but I'll go along with it and whatever. There's evidence that Ananias didn't do that. And the key to becoming the meanwhile for somebody else is that you embrace the, the steps that God is orchestrating for you. Here's what, here's what happens. Here's the way Ananias responds to it. He goes to the, the house on Straight Street. He goes to Judas's house. And it says this. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said this. Brother. Did you hear what he said? He didn't say, hey, listen here, dirtbag. God sent me to help you out, and you better appreciate it. I'm so glad we don't have a church where we hand out stuff on, on, uh, on the giveaway thing. And we go, you don't deserve this. Why well, don't give it to you anyway? I'm so glad we don't do stuff like that. I'm so glad we don't operate like that. I'm so glad we don't look at people and say, I don't know if you deserve the gospel right now. I don't, I don't think your lifestyle deserves God saving you right now. Hey, listen, there was decades where the church did that. I don't think your lifestyle deserved God redeeming you right now. My, my contention is your lifestyle requires that God redeem you right now or it's going to get way bad. So, so listen, it's got less to do with you and more to do with me obeying God. So, you're, so you hear the transformation of Ananias' heart when he goes from, Lord, are you sure you want to do this? To he walks in Judas's house on Straight Street and he puts his hand on Saul and he says, Brother. I've realized today that God sent me here to make you receive your sight. Come on, the knowledge when you wake up one morning and realize when all hell was breaking loose in your life that in the meanwhile, God was orchestrating you to be in a particular place at a particular time to lay hands on somebody and see them redeemed. How much better is that? And I and I went to the house and placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you, I'd like to think he was excited about this and had like kind of a preacher's voice. Maybe he even stood up on a chair in the house. (laughs) He said, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me 
how crazy is that? He sent me to you. I can't even believe he's redeeming you. And I can't believe he sent me to open your eyes. But he did. He sent me. So that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a moment a couple weeks ago we, we had the privilege to go to Costa Rica and work uh, with some people there and, and the awesome Dunham family went with us and it was just a great week. And I remember showing up the first day at this farm thing thinking they need to clean this place up. This is not on my timeline to be dealing with this. And I'll be honest with you, I can get that way. I can get that way. Like, just clean the place up. We spent three days there working uh, and getting to know people. There's a guy there, mid-20s from, from northern Canada, in Alberta in the north. Yeah, he was born in Chile, raised in Canada, looked Chilean. Is that how you say it? Spoke fluent Spanish. The woman we were working with said, Chris, people come from all over the world to volunteer here, and they know nothing about God. And I'm still like, you need to clean the place up, man. You need to sweep a little bit. That's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just an idiot. I'm, just amazed. I'm an idiot sometimes. Three days, no, actually a week went by. We went there and did our thing. We worked hard. Brought stuff specifically to leave there. And, and just went in and was like, God, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. We're going to work hard. Uh, Adam Dunham fixed up like five acres of electric fence, and we shocked him with it at the end to make sure it worked. And then we built shelters, all kinds of things, left a chainsaw there. It was just a great week. Meanwhile, on Monday while I was complaining to Adam about dude, I find out that this young guy there, that Sunday had went to church for the first time. And the woman that owned the farm told us later, he said he went to church with me for the first time. There's an English-speaking service, but he speaks Spanish as well. But, and then he ended up volunteering to teach English uh, at the church. He came back to the farm, and all the other people who don't know God went, you went to church? And he went, yeah, man, it was awesome. It was amazing. First experience. Monday, we show up. Come on, somebody say, meanwhile. Monday, we show up, and we just run in there. I mean, I didn't say to clean the thing up out loud. I had a smile on my face. And we just started working. Just started working. I don't know any better. I'm just working. I don't know this story. I'm just working. Like, we're going to get this stuff up. We're going to get it done. And we're going we're gonna to kill it. And we fixed the fence. And we built shelters and paint signs and all this stuff. And just the whole family's in there working, all of us. And it's amazing. At the end of the week, the woman that owns a farm at the, at the airport hugs me. And she says, you have no idea you changed his life this week. And I went, all I remember doing is making fun of him. I don't know if you've been around me very long. We were yucking it up. He weighed about 120 pounds. He went to arm wrestle. And they claimed he won because I forfeited. Um, so I'm still a little sore about that. Because then he beat me in the airport, like caught me off guard. Um, technically. She said he went to church for the first time. And then you guys showed up. The backstory about that is, is he... 
He signed up for a volunteer opportunity in Costa Rica from Alberta, Canada. And he came to Costa Rica. He had already made his deposit. He had already, he had already, he had already secured his spot. He gets to Costa Rica, calls the place, and they say, we didn't get any of it. We didn't get it. We don't know what you're talking about. You can't come here. He's stuck. He gets on Google. Somebody say, meanwhile, God is orchestrating Google for his good. He gets on Google and finds this place called the Monkey Farm. And he shows up there. And he had been there a month and a half before we got there. And went to church for the first time with Vicky. Meanwhile. She hugged me at the end of that week. We didn't do anything special. I'm letting you know we didn't do anything special. She said, Chris, you have no idea. His life was changed this week. So while I was complaining about how dirty it was, God was orchestrating events, meanwhile, to see a young man redeemed. So I don't know what you're walking through this morning. I talked to a guy yesterday that lost his job after 15 years. He was accused of doing something he said he didn't do. He said, I don't even know how they could even think I would do something like that. I've been loyal for 15 years, and now, I'm, now I lost my job. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but here's what I want you to remember. That there is always a meanwhile with God. And that he is always orchestrating things that you can't see on your timeline for your benefit and for the benefit of the people around you. And he's doing it even right now. So when you lay your head down tonight to go to bed, you can have confidence that every promise he's ever made you is true. That he didn't forget, that he didn't send you on a wild goose chase to leave you. That he didn't, that these things in your life aren't happening, just random events that are just, just happening with no cause or no reason. But that God is orchestrating your life for his purpose and for your good. Amen? Come on, why don't you stand this morning? The band could come. The beautiful thing about timelines is, the beautiful thing about just time period is that you have the ability to look back. And your ability to look back confirms what I'm telling you today. It confirms it. Every time in my life when I, when I trust God through a difficult situation, I look back, I, I, I see already, like, God, I didn't even know you were doing that. I could tell you another story about Costa Rica that'll blow your mind. And, and my wife and I are sitting in front of another woman uh, two weeks after we get back and something's working out. And, and, and I'm like, I'm looking at my wife going, do you know how many things unbeknownst to us had to work out for this to happen? We didn't even do any of it. But in the meanwhile, God was orchestrating it. Can I get you to trust him this morning in that? If nothing else, that you believe in your hardship right now, in your circumstance right now, that there's a God in heaven who in the meanwhile has worked it out already. Before the foundations of the earth, before you were ever dreamed of, he said, man, I know there's going to be a time in his life, but I need to give him confidence in August of 2016 that I have already worked it out. Come on, could you close your eyes? Maybe if you're comfortable, lift your hands and assign that, God, I'm giving it to you this morning, knowing that you've worked it out. In the meanwhile, 
while I didn't even know it was happening. You were on the move. You were working all things together for good. And I trust you this morning. Father, I pray that you'd instill faith in us today. I pray that this would be a moment for somebody here this morning that in the midst of difficulty, they realize that you have been hard at work. In the midst of feeling alone, Lord, that they realize that you've orchestrated a church around them. In the midst, in the midst of pain and suffering, Lord, that you've orchestrated peace. Father, we're depending on you today. Put faith in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us today. And Lord, I pray, I pray that we trust you. I pray that we trust you this morning, Lord. Look, if you haven't made that first step, first step to trusting that God is doing something in the meanwhile is surrendering your life to Christ, that he is the author and finisher of your faith, that he is the one that starts it and completes it, that you can place your trust in him and he will never fail. Here's what I can tell you. If you don't trust God, in the meanwhile, the devil is always working towards your destruction. That's a guarantee. He's consistent, if nothing else. In the meanwhile, if you surrender your life to God, he is always working for your good. Father, I pray for everyone that will call on your name this morning. Surrender their lives to you. Accept you as their Savior, Lord. Forgive them of their sins. Lord, redeem them. Put joy in their hearts this morning. Put peace in their hearts this morning. Knowing that you have it all worked out. You are holding it all today, Lord. We thank you for it. And we'll give you honor because of it, Lord. And I know you're faithful. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church. Could you give him honor and glory this morning? He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it.